Our scripture this morning, if you'll turn to it, it is Acts chapter 11. We'll be in verse 19 and go through verse 30. Acts 11, 19 through 30. It begins on page 1093 in your pew Bible. If you are new with us, you don't own a Bible, we encourage you to read along with us. If you don't own a Bible, we encourage you to take that one home. It is our gift to you. It is not stealing. We want you to have the Word of God. Personally, one of the reasons the Word of God is so important and valuable in our lives is because of how it affected my own life. I grew up in the church. I grew up in First Christian Church, Plainview, Texas, where I was encouraged that those would be the first doors I walked through every week. Sunday school, worship, they weren't options. They were part of life. Then around age 11, I attended pastor's class, which is a tradition in going through about a six-week study to learn about the faith and what baptism is, and I failed. And I was held back for another year. Uh, it, was, it was said and rumored that I ate too many Oreos and didn't read enough of the Bible. My wife believes I still eat too many Oreos. But the next year I'd go through pastor's class and because you really don't want to fail it twice, I was granted permission to be baptized into Christ's holy church. So at age 12, I was baptized into his church on Easter 1995. Well, it would be until age 25 and when I really understood exactly what my baptism meant and about faith because it would be upon my wife and I getting married and going to First United Methodist Church in Plainview, Texas, that we would be surrounded by other couples and a pastor who had a passion for us to hear the Word of God. It'd be a deep diving into the Word of God in which the call to ministry that I once heard in high school was realized, formed, and crystallized where I couldn't run away from it. During the night in which I struggled with my call. Instead of turning on mindless television, I opened the scripture. And if you are being called by God, opening the word of God is a dangerous thing to do because, well, you will end up submitting to him. And I did exactly that that night. In which then I was led to go on to seminary and I went to Bright Divinity School. While at Bright Divinity School, I was taught many things, ethics, theologies, a new perspective, a progressive understanding of who Christ is and understanding his scripture. Now, during that time, I can tell you that there had been no regular daily Bible reading in my life until going to seminary. And then even going through seminary, it still was not a regular daily thing of my life. In fact, what I was taught in seminary is a new perspective and a way to understand scripture to say that it contradicts itself, that not all of it is, is good and profitable for teaching and rebuking, which is the exact opposite of what scripture says. I would be ordained into Christian ministry seven years ago in 2012 on Memorial Day weekend at First Christian Church, Gainesville, Texas. I would then go on to pastor First Christian Church in Cleburne, Texas. And I was a pastor there for two years until 2014, in which then I was leading a Wednesday night study on the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5. In my own preparation and study for it, I came across the scripture in chapter 5 in which Jesus says, Anyone who teaches anyone to relax even one of my commands will be called least of these. It shook me to my very core for the first time in my life. I realized what I was taught in seminary had been false and the gymnastics needed to understand God's word weren't, weren't helpful in my life. It wasn't leading to a deeper 
understanding it wasn't leading me into a more faithful relationship with God. So I ditched the Bible that I had in seminary and all the commentaries. I went with it and I went and bought an ESV, which is why we read ESV here is because it just happened to be the one I bought. I bought one without study notes and I began reading his word for what it was off the page, asking the Holy Spirit to guide me. It was in 2014 that God used his word to bring his true gospel to someone already ordained as a pastor because his word contains the truth in it. His word changes lives and transforms each and every one of us. And it shows you can be a good person, a religious person. You can go through and be baptized. You can be in attendance in church. You can hear a call from God. But unless you come to a full understanding of the gospel, I can say up until 2014, my eternal destiny was at risk because of the way I read scripture. This is why scripture is important. This is why I encourage each of you to read it yourselves, because it will change your lives. It is eternal truths, and our own eternal destinies are at risk if we ignore it. So let us turn now and hear the word of God. Luke writes, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, whom, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus looking for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For the whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one of them, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. May he implant his eternal truths upon your hearts. Let us pray. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here in Scripture, we are introduced for the first time to the very first Christians. It says that they called them Christians. They were called Christians in Antioch. Now, it wasn't used as an endearing term. In fact, it was quite derogatory. It wasn't seen as a good thing to be called a Christian. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time, around half a million people living in Antioch. And it was like any other major city. It was culturally diverse and pluralistic religiously. Now there were believers in Christ, in the Messiah of Jesus that he was the anointed one to come and save his people. And they get called Christians. 
because there needed to be some way to label this diverse group who was coming together and worshiping God. And so they called them Christians. But what's interesting to note is this is the first Christian church that was formed by Gentiles, by non-Jews in Antioch. And Antioch, the church in Antioch, grows to be one of the greatest churches throughout all of history. It was great for a number of many reasons. And we'll see later on as we go through Acts as it enumerates and lists all that the church in Antioch does. But what makes it so great is that it was spirit-led. That they were worshipful in all that they did. That they were very generous. We read that here in the scripture. They heard of the famine and they gave all as they had so that those who would go through the famine would not go in need. They were prayerful in their decisions. But most of all, they were missionary in their purpose. Antioch would be the church that would launch Paul, the apostle, on his missionary journeys to go to the ends of the earth, spreading the gospel. Antioch would be the church that births other church, not only in its region, but across the world. Antioch would be the church in which people would hear the call from God and go out into the world sharing the good news. Antioch was a great church by any measure. Now, in the formation of Antioch, we read here in Scripture three things that were that God used to bring this church into being and raised it up and they held steadfast to him. God used suffering, ordinary people, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to form this church in Antioch. See, we read here in verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. See, it's suffering that brought them to Antioch to begin with. Not in spite of their suffering, but it says because of their suffering. God's design was through their suffering. Satan's plan was to bring persecution, cause fear and trembling in people to fall away from the Lord. The God, God took their persecution and their suffering and used it to send his gospel to the corners of the earth. Christianity, our faith in Christ, comes with suffering. We are not promised prosperity, wealth, or health. What we are promised as a gift with our faith that we can count on and be guaranteed is that we will face tribulations, sufferings, and temptations. That is what we are promised. But what the author of Hebrews tells us is that while we will go through sufferings and we are promised tribulations, we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who understands us because he himself went through sufferings. See, Christ himself suffered on the cross for our sake so that we might be saved. Christ tells us to pick up and bear our own cross. Not so that we might save others, but so that his gospel and his kingdom might be furthered. See, Christ suffered for propitiation. We suffer for propagation. Suffering is a part and parcel of being a Christian. 
Paul writes to the church in Philippi in the first chapter. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. So what does your faith in Christ grant you here in this world now? It grants you suffering. But in the midst of that suffering, we have joy, hope, peace, and abundant life. In the midst of the suffering, abundant life. In the midst of the suffering, joy and hope and peace. It is all there because we have our eyes fixed not on things of this world, but on our treasures stored up in heaven. Because we know this is but temporary and made of dust, and that what we have our hope in is eternal and never fading. Suffering, it comes with it. See, Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 10, verse 16, as he's telling them, I send you out like sheep among wolves. This is not good, Christians. I send you out like sheep among wolves. Jesus knows that he is sending us out and that we will be persecuted. We will face suffering. We will be hunted. We will be killed all for his sake. And it's because he has sent us out and he knows suffering will come along with us being sent. He later goes on in that same chapter and it's also written and and attested to in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel that Jesus goes on to say that you will be hated by everyone on account of my name. But we don't necessarily feel that here in these United States of America. What was a derogatory term for the disciples in Antioch being called Christian? In the United States, for most of its life, being called a Christian has brought with itself certain privileges. And in fact, it was safe to assume for a majority of time in the United States lifespan that if you were American, you were Christian. And it was offensive that if someone came and brought scripture and the gospel to you, you say, why are you doing this to me? Do I not look American? Meaning I am also Christian. It is only recently that we can even say we've begun to feel any persecution. And by the way, the persecution we feel in the United States for our faith is not that of the persecution spoken of in Scripture or that our brothers and sisters worldwide face. We have no threat of violence against our lives. No one is being hauled off in the United States and, and having their life taken for them before, because of their faith. So the persecution we feel is minuscule in respect. But the persecution we do have, it is ramping up, it is getting louder. One of the unfortunate things I see us doing as Christians, though, is we are not turning to trust God and using that suffering and turning our eyes upon his treasure, but we are turning to policies and laws to hold off that suffering, putting our trust in governments and rules of laws to keep us from suffering when suffering is all that was promised by Christ for his sake. Suffering is part of what it means to be a Christian. And the gospel, not in spite of, but because of it, continues to move. See, suffering in our life is inevitable, but the gospel is unstoppable. 
We see that when we read of the persecution of Stephen in which the scripture points back to that it was the persecution of Stephen and the great persecution that broke out as to why they spread that it wasn't their suffering that stopped the gospel. What the devil tried to do, God used for his purposes in our good. We see how the gospel moved from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and it is now moving to the ends of the earth. By the very fact that we are sitting here worshiping the one true God this morning. Suffering is inevitable, but the gospel is unstoppable. And when we go back and we trace exactly how this church in Antioch was formed, we go back to Stephen. Stephen appointed a deacon in the church. Was out telling people of the good news of Jesus, of the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. He was told to stop under no fear of losing his own life. He continued on. They brought false testimony against Stephen. He was tried and found guilty. Saul approved of his execution, it says in chapter 8, verse 1. And Stephen was martyred for his faith. And then a great persecution, it says in chapter 8, began in Jerusalem in Jerusalem, but everyone else scattered into Judea and Samaria. And so there were believers moving on beyond there. And it would be these believers that says here that were scattered because of the persecution and went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And it would be believers that were scattered because of the persecution that would then go and tell others of the good news and this church in Antioch would form. And it would be this church in Antioch in which Barnabas is sent to and Barnabas goes and gets Saul. And then it, they stay there and a year later they elect Saul and Barnabas to go and be global missionaries. The very church that began because Saul approved of the execution of a believer in Jesus Christ, now goes and sends Saul out to go and tell others of the good news of Jesus. You cannot write a better Hollywood script than this. It is by God's design that suffering occurred and moved and created this church and moved his gospel. Suffering, yes, it is inevitable, but the gospel is unstoppable. So we see suffering in our own lives and we ask, why are we suffering? What's going on in our lives? What did we do to cause this? But when we read scripture and we see the suffering, even the later suffering of Saul, he always points it back to his joy and his hope in Christ. That no matter what the suffering in our life is, our hope in Christ is stronger than that. And that may our prayers not be, why are we suffering? But God, use this suffering for your eternal purposes. God, what is it about this suffering that we are to learn? How is it that we are to trust and rely more fully on God? So here we see, when we take a step back and we fly at 50,000 feet, how suffering planted this church in Antioch. And we see also in Scripture here that God does it through ordinary people. Remember, the apostles hung back in Jerusalem. It was just regular believers who were scattered beyond. And in fact, we get no-named men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went and began preaching the gospel to Hellenists. These are Greek-speaking Gentiles. And that the Lord's favor was upon them, and they grew in numbers. It was ordinary men. 
went and did this. It did not require professionals, evangelists, teachers, preachers, ministers, or pastors. God uses ordinary people who will go and do extraordinary things for the kingdom every day of the week. It's right here. Ordinary people who start one of the greatest churches in history. And the other thing that we see, what tools did they have? What budget did they come with? They did so without a budget, without technology, without an organ or a band. They did so without professionals, programs, or even a place in a beautiful building such as this. They solely had with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ordinary people do extraordinary things for God's kingdom every day. See, that's really the calling that we have laid upon us. The calling for us is pastors, Paul writes out in his letter to to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 12. It's to equip the saints. That's you. You're the saints, those who believe in Christ, for the work of ministry. This very work of ministry that we're called to, Jesus lays it out before he ascends into heaven. To go and therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Or more simply, if we go to Acts and See what Jesus said right before he sent it, that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Folks, being a Christian does not allow us to be spectators. Whatever comfort and ease we have with the gospel and the calling God has put on our life, may he save us from a spectator mentality that we have... And, and that we have relegated ministry to professionals and to preachers. It is clear as day that it is ordinary people with a fire and a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ going out into the world and telling other folks that the Lord's hand is with them. There was suffering. There was ordinary people. And there was the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read here in verse 20 and 21. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Sharing the gospel is vital to it being spread and to the salvation of souls. If we remain mute on the good news that saved us, we are putting other people's eternal destiny at risk. If we claim we have love for our neighbor, for our brother, our sister, for our family members, for others, for enemies, yet do not share the good news to them, do we really love them? Do we really hold them at heart? See, sharing the gospel, we know it is vital because we just heard about Cornelius the centurion. Cornelius the centurion was a devout man, a very good man, a religious man who gave alms, who worshiped and believed in the one true Lord of Israel was the one true God. Yet he still was unsaved because God sent an angel to him and said, go and send for Peter. He has a message for you that you need to hear. 
Peter also saw a vision and was taken to Cornelius to bring the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. He wasn't sent to go and confer that Cornelius was already saved. He was brought to bring him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because no matter how good and devout Cornelius was, he had not heard the gospel, and so he could not call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Scripture shows us sharing the gospel is vital to the salvation of souls. Romans chapter 10 where we often hear Pastor Chris tell us that what is required is that we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and we confess with our lips that He is Lord. And Paul goes on in this chapter, beginning in verse 13, and he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul is asking a lot of questions here, but we can follow his logic quite simply. The only way to be saved is to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And the only way to call upon the name of Jesus Christ is to believe the gospel. And the only way to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be told the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that leaves a great deal of responsibility upon each and every one of us who call upon the name of the Lord. See, we can no longer assume in these United States of America that just because simply you are American that you believe the gospel and call upon the name of the Lord. And we also know that there are billions, billions of people around the world who have never heard the gospel. Whose eternal destinies lay at risk, waiting, because God has given you grace in your life, waiting, maybe, possibly for you, to go and tell them the good news that saved your soul. May we all pray as a church, may we fast together, that God would remove a spectator mentality that we've had and begin raising up missionaries here in our own congregation to not only be sent here locally, but around the world that good news of Jesus Christ would be shared. It's a risky prayer. It's a risky proposition because that calling could rest upon ourselves. And it's scary because we know Suffering comes when we go to share the good news in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not promised that it will be easy, but we're promised that we, He will never leave us nor forsake us. We are promised that He is with us always. We are promised that no matter what happens in this world, because our hope is in Jesus Christ, we have eternity with the Father. All it takes all it takes is ordinary people willing to suffer so that others can hear the gospel. Amen.